Welcome to Between the Show. I'm Joel Crawford, and we're going to use this opportunity to sit down and talk one-on-one with some amazing people. Today, we're going to be joined by P.J. Galati, a maker, editor, screenwriter, and now an author. Thank you very much for joining us on another uh, Between the Show show. Uh, I'm joined with uh, P.J. Galati who is a maker in in the community, and he's going to be joining us uh, talking a little bit about uh, his making, and he happens to be an author. And we're going to talk a little bit about that kind of making. So uh, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. I am glad you're here. I've been wanting to get you on the show, and we're going to sneak you in as the second. Now, I know the honor is all yours, (laughs) but... You're you're now the second guest on this uh, worldwide hit show, the uh, Between the Show show. I feel pumped. I'm pumped. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Uh, I've been I've been well, I'm a little, I got a little bit of cage fever because I haven't been in the shop for almost a week because it's cold. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, tell me a little bit about what you make. Uh, you know, I make a lot of different things, but uh, I've been making these uh, felt lined wood boxes with uh, solid brass hardware, like right around the holidays. Nice. Now, is that flocking or is that the full on felt? That's the, the felt sheets you got to glue in. You know, that's one of our favorite family jokes is uh, going up to any piece of fabric and saying, is this felt? Now it is. <laughs> right? I, I, I know. Like it. Cheesy. I'm use that. Cheesy, but it works. I've thought about switching to the to the flocking, though, because uh, the, the felt... I. I used that contact cement to glue in all the felt into the boxes. Yes. And I did about 14 boxes at the same time. I I was so high by the end of that. <laughs> I can I can imagine that you were probably um writing fantasy novels by the end of that. I had a several in my mind, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you did. The uh the uh, flocking does roughly the same kind of issues, although you do get to use spray adhesive a little bit, but um flocking material gets everywhere so just be just be warned it's not all sunshine and uh rainbows with but it. i think with the flocking it's quicker it, it is so you know it is you don't have to measure cut corners all that stuff so with the glue i was it was taking me like about 10 minutes per box maybe on average once i got quick i think it was actually 15 minutes prior to that um but it's it's, right. it's a slow process it is a slow process so what else do you do so I've done some pen turning, um, not recently, but that's that was in my repertoire. Uh, I've also I've made uh, camera holding equipment and filming equipment. Um, I've done like a ton of. And why do you why do you make camera holding equipment? I am a trained filmmaker from uh, graduated from New York Film Academy. I'm I've directed. Um, I've done sound. I've done lighting and any and. A lot of uh, when I was fresh out of school, uh, all of the really nice camera equipment that you want as a new filmmaker is right. super pricey, you know, and and right. uh, even like stuff just to hold a boom mic. Um, C stands are like uh, one hundred and fifty dollars a piece, and you need a half dozen of there them. There you go. So you know, it's like wherever I could uh, cut around corners, I would make stuff. You know, I'd make it out of. Uh, I made a micro dolly, a three-wheeled micro dolly, uh, out of some PVC elbows and an old roller blade, like a set of wheels. Nice. Um, for just putting the camera on, putting it on top of a table, and then just letting it, like you know, uh, 
pan to the side or roll to the side yeah. to get like a nice rolling shot or, you know, uh, I've done a, a lot of different things. The most recent thing I did uh, was for filming YouTube videos. Have you seen those, um, the Z, uh, they're Z-shaped camera holders where you put the, yes. okay, so I made one of those, but with a magnet on the bottom so that you could stick it anywhere in the shop. So you could put it on the top of your car and go through like McDonald's. You probably could, but I have a truck and I'd never go to McDonald's. So <laughs> all you'd see is Fair air. Um, but air. I, I used it for uh, top-down shots on the workbench. Sure. Um, sure. That's an excellent way. I know some people that have made um, shop projects out of making basically a, a grid holder where they run a kind of XY uh, pipe system above their table right. so they can move it left or right, up or down kind of a thing. That's a, that's a studio system, a micro studio system. Right. That's a, right. that's great. If you've got the room for it, you know what that is? That's called tasty. <laughs> tasty. That's exactly what tasty uses. I'm, I have no doubt that they have a butcher block with a, with a little stove insert on it. And they have above that, they have all the rigging for the camera mount mm. and they, and a couple of lights that are hanging off of clamps mm -hmm. and they shoot, uh, little videos that are 37 seconds long that get 12 million views per, per, per shot. Who thought that, that sauteing onions could be so popular? I saute them all the time. I don't get that kind of response. I don't get that kind of response when I saute onions either. So, uh, so tell me, uh, so you like the pen turning, although you're not doing that currently and you've done the jigs and you've done the making but you're part of our community. You're, 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 you hang out in, in the, we like to make stuff, uh, Facebook page and, and you kind of, you kind of, you're kind of stalkerish. You hang out, <laughs> you comment a few times. I, I've seen you. I'm working on the stalker issue. I'm trying to get more stalkery. I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, I, right. I, I haven't been on Facebook a lot, but I've been all those young kids. I know. I know. Uh, I've been trying to get back onto Facebook more. I was heavy into it when I first got into the film industry. That's actually when I first heard about it was back in 2007. Uh, there were, right. Everybody's like, oh, you, you got to get on Facebook. All of the actors are using it to book gigs and stuff. And that's how we're all staying in contact. Sure. So that was my introduction to Facebook was to use it for the film industry. And almost, I'd say, 70% of my contacts are all film related. Right. Um, but but right. now I'm starting to pull people from the make community in, um, you know, people from all over the planet. And um, that is now the growing part of my Facebook extended friends. Sure. Um, but it, I typically don't just like, you know how a lot of people will uh, request you as a friend and you don't know them. Yeah. Right. I typically don't accept those requests. I will for the maker community if I know they're a maker because I know I have something in con in in you know common with them. Sure. Um, but if I'm friends with somebody and then like their cousin tries to request me, if I don't know who they are, I've never met them or talked to them. Typically, I won't accept the request because of course then it becomes that seems reasonable. Well, it, it, what's the point of having Facebook if you don't know who you're talking to? That I, I think there are plenty of people that don't know who they're talking to, but I agree with your point. I, I think that's, I think it's, it's nice to have a, some sort of something in common. Um, but it's, it's weird because, uh, being in this maker community, one of the weird, one of the weird side effects is like, if you have a bunch of friends that you hang out with in real life, uh, I'll call it real life. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you generally have the same, you know, political views, religious views, things like that. They might differ a little here or there, but nothing like crazy heavy swings. And uh, it's funny being a part of the community as you friend these people and as you add them to your kind of personal side of Facebook or or even Instagram and things, all of a sudden you see them start popping up and you start seeing the the maybe the political posts or you see the, the religious, whatever it happens to be. And uh, it's always funny because I have I have some very conservative friends and I have some very, very liberal friends. And I'm kind of in the middle here going, well, yeah, okay. But tell me what kind of glue you like. You know, <laughs> like like that's that's where my interests are these days. I yeah. It's a it's it's socially it's you kind of have to you know, bite the bullet on some things and kind of kind of weed out some other things and then eventually get to what type of glue do you like? Well, that's why I kind of abandoned Facebook for several years because of all that sort of nonsense. But sure. since the the maker oriented groups have popped up, those pages you don't get any of that. Right. So that's right. that's I'm trying to get back into the swing of checking it like every day and getting messages on my phone that somebody's posted something. Right. Um, because that stuff is relevant to like my interests. Your interest, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of your interests, uh. Tell me what you've been doing since 2006. Uh, well, uh, I, I, 2007, well, 2006. Okay. So I, yeah, just, I, just go over the whole, uh, each year, uh, item by item, itemize please. And we'll just, uh, we'll pick out a particular things more specifically. Tell me about the project you've been working on. I started writing a novel in 2006, uh, which at the time I did not know it was a novel. Um, so just a short story, like a little a little snippet here or there? Uh, no, it was, it was, I, I, most people apparently don't have the same experience that I do, but whenever I go to sleep, I have dreams like every night. And sure. uh, I've talked to a bunch of people about this and they're like, oh, well, I don't remember my dreams, blah, 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 blah. Well, I have very. I, I'm, I'm also in that camp. I, I don't, very rarely do I remember my dreams. Okay. Well, imagine that you had a dream about catfish the size of whales attacking people on a beach. That would be a very substantial uh, and concerning thing that, because, again, I don't often dream, and if that was the dream that came through, <laughs> I would have a lot of questions about my life. Yes, there might be uh, some therapy needed for that. Um, but to me, this is, this is like an average normal dream. But when I woke up and I remembered the dream, I'm thinking, where exactly did this take place? because it couldn't take place on earth. Right. So I started writing about a place where I thought this kind of thing happened. And that place was what turned out to be uh, La La Land, the daydream world. Right. And so your book is called The Legend of La La Land. Yes. Yes. Originally it was just La La Land, but then when the movie came out, I had to differentiate so right, it became right. it evolved to, into the, the legend. Un, unless you had a two million dollar marketing campaign to push the other out, because the <laughs> other was nice. I mean, don't get me wrong; there was singing and things, and that was good. To this day, but I, but yours, I have not seen that movie. I mean, I mean, they don't have giant man-eating plants either, though. And I think that that was their so, downfall. You know, I, that was the downfall of the movie. Any anybody, I mean, I'm fine with a little, you know, spoken or singing. Uh, verse, either one, uh, as long as there's a, a large plant. I mean, 
they they did it in Little Shop of Horror. Why couldn't they have done it in La La Land? I think that it should be like a standard, you know. Like I th- I think there should be like a side. It would be like Johnny Carson and his plant. You know what I mean? Like that's. I mean, he's dead. Obviously, that would be a little weird on a lot of levels. But, uh, but yeah, that's <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. it's I I like it. And so I've read the book, mm-hmm. right? Because I I donated. You were the first. I I invested. I was the first backer in your Indiegogo, uh, uh, campaign. And so, uh, real quick, folks, if you want to kind of look to see what's happening, there's a fantastic uh, short movie. Uh, that kind of gives you a little uh, little preview. If you go on Indiegogo and search The Legend of La La Land, or even just La La Land, it'll come up. And you can, I won't give you the whole like URL for it, but just, just search uh, La La Land or The Legend of La La Land, La Land while you are on Indiegogo. Um, also, I just noticed it was really hard to say Indiegogo <laughs> and La La Land all at the same time. So I'm going to be working that as a voice warm-up for my next show. So thank you very much for that. I don't know where Indiegogo comes from. The, I mean, I don't, the indie I part don't I get, but the go-go, I don't know. I I just, all I can think of is like, um, I, I don't know, maybe Hoosiers wearing boots. I don't know what else to, like that's the, that's when I first heard it, I was like, wow, nice. So there's, it's about boots, you know. <laughs> that would have been more entertaining, Whatever. yeah. What, what, maybe, maybe. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, your characters in the book. Uh, the main character is a guy named John, who's a unsuccessful pizza delivery guy. Uh, he, he's, he's one of these guys that his life sort of fizzled out after high school. Um, and he, he's done these, he's badgered by his mom, uh, his, and he's haunted by his overly successful sister. Uh, so he doesn't, he lives in a dingy apartment with his pet ferret. Uh, and these ah uh, the pet ferret. yes the ferret that's that's the only person he answers to which isn't even a person um, right and it is it is for this conversation f- pretty much yeah pretty much right he uh, he ends up accidentally um, getting trapped in La La Land and the story is sort of a rite of passage for him it's about him becoming a man going from somebody that has virtually no responsibilities at all. To being responsible for other people, right? Because he's not a particularly great pizza delivery guy, anyway, right? No, I mean, like, like he's like not ambitious. Like he's not going to be manager of this this pizza place. No, he's barely showing up for work on time every day. He, he's right. not. He's he's the guy that sneaks out back with the dishwasher and they they smoke a joint. You know, right, right. Like this is not, you know, he's he's not. This is his ambitions are are like the bottom of the barrel, pretty much. And, you know, it's when you have that mindset in a in normal everyday life, then that's pretty much where you're going to stay. But when you get thrown into a situation where if you don't change, you're going to die, uh, you have to start learning to adapt or you're not going to make it. Right. Right. I, I think that's a fair. I Having read the book now, uh, I think that's a fair uh fair fair sum because the 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 end result is that it's just a constant kind of series of of challenges some personal and some very external yes challenges uh and interesting situations that they get into could you do me a favor mm-hmm. could you read me a little passage and and let let the uh the <laughs> our our 17 people uh know uh how this book is kind of put together a little bit sure 
All right, so this is about a third of the way into the book. This is page 114. John looked back at Cynthia and shrugged. The two of them began walking across the open expanse, glad they didn't have to dodge any killer plants for a while. Off in the distance, a whistling scream traveled to their ears and ended with a dull thud that shook the ground. They both stopped and looked in the direction of the noise, but couldn't make out anything in the low light. Well, Cynthia asked. Probably something coming to kill us, John Riley answered, shrugging his shoulders. They continued walking, just as the whistling screaming sound turned back on, only a lot closer, and it was getting louder by the second. At the last moment, John looked up, then quickly tackled Cynthia to the left, just as a giant carnivorous stalactite, six feet across and ten feet long, fell from the cave ceiling and embedded itself in the ground. John could see the mouth on the front chomping away at the ground, edging its way deeper until the mouth and the tip was buried beneath the surface and it stopped moving. It looked like a solid grayish-brown stone. John quickly got up and Cynthia followed suit. Looking around at the number of holes in the ground, the landscape resembled Swiss cheese. It had a mouth, Cynthia mumbled. Yeah, that thing was trying to eat us, John looked at her. It fell from the cave ceiling to try and swallow us whole in one shot, John realized. Swallow? Cynthia peeped wide-eyed, then swallowed hard herself. This place is a minefield. We need to get out of here fast, John commanded. They took off running as fast as they could. Dodging the holes, both threat bashers jumped back down and began running in front of them, leading the way. Another whistling scream alerted them as a second carnivorous stalactite headed for them. John looked up and tried to see where it was coming from, and they ran and then ran straight into an eight-foot-wide hole, going in headfirst. John, Cynthia screamed. So the uh, so is this? Tell me, is this uh, is this uh, is this a psychosis that you have dreaming about carnivorous giant carnivorous uh, uh, stalactites? Uh, I didn't dream about the stalactites. The dream was just uh, from the catfish. the The stalactites. Gotcha. Uh, the way that this all sort of came about was. I I wrote the entire book as if someone had already told me the story and I was remembering it. Gotcha. So um, this is the opposite of how you are supposed to write anything. I've written six feature films and dozens of short screen, you know, short films. Um, and with those, it's highly structured. You have to have an outline. You have to know the end sure. before anything. And typically, if you just start writing without knowing what's going to happen next, um, you're going to have a terrible story. And this, for some reason, didn't work out that way. Um, it, what I did was, I was, as I was writing, was I just imagined hearing it. Literally, that's all it was, just what's going to happen next. And then I would just hear something. And if it sounded like it was something that was predictable, and I'm like, no, that's not right. So if, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Joel, the whole book is unpredictable. It is certainly unpredictable. I have had, you are one of a few, I had a couple of test readers, and that was the one consistent thing, consistent response I got from all of them is that this is an unpredictable story, which is something that was very important to me because I hate it when I know what's going to happen. Well, I, I, I was prepared though, because I've had years now working with Mike Laffey. <laughs> and so the idea of, unpredictability is almost now predictable for me. 
So tell me again, so you've developed this book, and, and I, I don't think that you're too far off from what a lot of writers, because I've often heard writers discuss their work, and they will say, I, I don't know exactly what was going to happen in the end. I knew that the characters in my mind, because they, they take on a section of, of the person's brain as they do these dialogues, um, where it will all lead. Did you have an end goal? for this did you have like where you knew where the ending was going to go and you had to te- did you have to get them there or did you just have the characters develop and then put them in interesting situations and say oh well john's going to react this way or cynthia's going to react this way or we need to have this thing come in sideways did you look at the because these are kind of broken up into um let's call them events sure right throughout throughout the story right so w- would you say that you had an end game in mind or did the characters lead you there i did not have an end game um i actually the 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 benchmark that i can give you is um until i hit i think it was around 85 or 87,000 words when i hit that point it was some right point around there that's when i finally figured out what the story was Right. I, I had written more than two thirds of the book. The book is 119,000 words. So, so hold on one second. Let me interject real quick because I want to explain this because I think this is an important part because in general, our, our audience is makers mm-hmm. and they have an idea in their Oftentimes I've seen it done a couple of different times, but let's talk about it because literary is it's still making when you're putting words in a story together. Oftentimes the pieces that we physically make, uh, are telling a story about certain things. I've seen people make things that were very touching in, in memory of someone, where it's a story of someone's life or, or a, specific, a specific event. Uh, but in here, in most times, when we have a job to do, we have either something that will bring us pleasure or something that will serve a purpose, we make that item mm-hmm. for that thing. It could be in plastics or metals or woods or whatever. It can be resins, casting, pottery, sewing, whatever happens to be your thing. And we have that we have that mission. We we see a problem or we see an opportunity and we come up with a solution to fulfill that. And I don't think writing is very much different than that. I think writing is actually the same thing, but in a way, uh other than the physical thing of words on paper, I think you're literally building a world. And there are, you've certainly done it in yours. And there are other famous writers that do that. There's, there's actually, funny enough, Stephen King has a world that he works in, mm-hmm. that he's already built constraints on, that, that these things exist. And, and it doesn't matter what book you're in, they all fall within the, that world. Mm-hmm. So, so there's... Uh, so you get to create this amazing world. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show is to talk about, um, your passion for not only making in the physical world, but literally making a whole world. So, and that's, I think that's pretty special on that note on the making the whole world. Um, I did, uh, I did all the artwork, uh, for the inside of the book. And yes. amongst the artwork, there are two maps. Um, there's a map of La La Land uh, proper. Uh, in the very beginning. In the very beginning. In fact, it's, it's like the third page. Right. So um, I had to make that map 
<clears throat> in order to write the story. That was that was one of the first things that I had to do because I, I had to understand where the characters were going and what they were facing. And because this is a made up place, or at least it's very you know that's very Tolkien-y of you. Uh I did reference Tolkien's maps and a bunch of other hand drawn maps for other books sure. online. Um and so this is, this is a little aside, but this was this was part of the process, which was kind of a shock for me. It won't be a shock for everybody else because they'll see the both maps in the beginning. But I was uh, I, I started the story in 2006. And then the way that I would write, I would write like a couple pages at a time over the years until I got to 2016. And I lived with that one map for 10 years, just the one map. And then all of a sudden, the characters fell into the underground in this trap. And all of a sudden, they were in a place that I didn't, I had never. Your world wasn't big enough yet. Yeah. So I literally had to stop for three days and envision an entirely new part of this world. I had to make a new map. Everything had to be done from scratch. And I couldn't write anything. So this is in the middle of the writing process, which. Right. And the short version is in 2016, I got inspired by somebody else in August, and I went from August till October, and I wrote uh, three quarters of the book. Wow, that is inspired. Yeah. Um, and at the height of that, right after I hit that like 87,000 mark, once I understood what the, uh, what the book was about, at the height of that, for a period of eight days, I was writing four to five thousand words per day. Okay, that's a that's a lot of typing. Well, it just to put this in perspective, if I could maintain that level of writing, the book would have taken me nineteen days to write. Uh, the story has been done um, since two thousand and sixteen. Um, there was some okay. some proofing and some revisions. But the thing that took from then till now was um, doing all the artwork on the inside and then um, getting the cover artwork done. Um, I had to go through two different artists for the cover. And that, which should have been like a two-week process, was literally one entire summer to get just the cover. Right. Um, and there's just been a, a series of things that have sort of delayed the book. Um, some of them personal, some of them emotional. You know, when you're doing something that sure. that uh, this is now a 13 years i'm i'm into this story um it's it's sort of taken like a, an emotional toll you know you have to have enough uh, energy to push something forward and like with the fundraiser i am personally reaching out to every person and and telling them about this and saying this is my book could you please go check it out and you know uh, People are responding and, you know, it's not for everybody. The book is not for everybody. It's for a wide amount of people. But um, I'm also hearing about people that I haven't talked to in a lot of while, in a long time, their lives and what's happening with them. And um, a handful of people, like five people in particular that have had like, you know, personal tragedies and things that sure. you know, I am just so even that just taking in those stories from them. It, it's difficult. It makes it difficult to keep moving forward because I'm trying to be positive and upbeat and let everybody know, listen, this is a fun story that appeals to pretty much everybody. It's not, 
it's not needled in. This is not a specific story. This is a story about an average Joe, an average guy. This guy has nothing special going for him, but then he fills out. In extraordinary circumstances then. Yeah. When he gets put in these circumstances, he rises to the occasion. And it was a, it was a good, uh, it was a good fun read. I, I highly suggest if you like a little bit of fantasy, if you like a little bit of losing yourself and, uh, and I'm actually, I may actually go back again and, and raise my level and, uh, get the audiobook because I think I'd like to listen to this again and maybe in a couple more years, my son is eight and there are some adultish type situations. It's a young adult that, novel. That, yeah. Definitely, I'm thinking I'm going to wait maybe two years, and then we'll listen to it like on the car. But the cool thing about it is, I think we can get together like a chapter at a time, like going to school. And I just I want to fill him his head with these insanity, uh, and this insane ideas and this insanity that happens in the book. Uh, and and I I hope it's and it 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 was fun for me to read. I'm sure it will be fun for him in a couple of years. I um folks, I I can't tell you enough. To, to to go check this out. And again, Indiegogo and The Legend of La La Land. I did want to say um, about the fundraiser, just so everybody understands, the fundraiser is not me selling the book. The fundraiser is actually for me to raise funds to hire a book coach. And the book coach is going to help me get a literary agent. And then the two of them are going to help me get a publisher. Getting a literary agent is extremely difficult, and getting a publisher is even harder. And for this type of book, for a novel that's this long, you cannot just approach a publisher. They they will right. they will not look at your work. And literary agents get uh, hundreds of query letters per week. Right. The other thing is um, from the fundraiser. One of the things I have are creatures from the story are. Uh, laser burned into papyrus, as that's one of the things you can get. And Tim Sway was the person that helped me do that. I needed somebody with a good laser, and I know he had that big one. And we talked, and I sent him the files, and we played around with it a little bit. And he was able to get them looking really awesome. They look like these ancient old parchments. You know, like they're basically, oh, you know, fantastic. they're like prehistoric uh, trading cards almost. But they're big. They're like uh, 13 by 9, I think. Sure, sure. Um, Something to hang up on the wall. And I also, in the future, want to do some maker-related projects um, from the book. Like, for instance, um, there is a... Joel's read about these. They're little creatures called Sterling Glowplugs. Yes. And they basically look like uh, ladybugs that are about the size of an, a large orange cut in half. So they're, they're, I don't know, about maybe five, six inches diameter. And I actually want to make one of those... Uh, Maybe this year, if I can get to it, I need a bunch of different things to make them. But basically, you you wear it, it, it the bug holds onto your chest, and you touch it, and it lights up. And it's basically like a, a living flashlight. That's that's what you know they need. They're, the characters are in a lot of dark places, and uh, these bugs help them be able to see. And they have a couple of other purposes as well, hidden hidden little things. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing that I want to do. I want to actually be able to make stuff from the book. Um, and, and I want to make it more real. I want to make it physical in addition to just being like a a story with words and kind of going back to what you were talking about. Um, when we were talking about making a lot of the things that I make 
have stories embedded in them because I make with a lot of reclaimed materials or found items. Um, and even like my YouTube videos, I try to put a story into it. Um, so I've been a story maker for a very long, long time. And I try to include that in everything that I do just because I think people want to hear stories more than they I think the story I think the story is is the the content creators that we often reference um are the ones that that tell a story uh Frank Howarth is obviously one that comes to mind right who tells a story with each one of his builds and while they are uh amazing builds in themselves the fact that he adds the storyline to it in either the creation or why the piece exists in the first place or who he's helping with it one way or another, or his learning experience doing something else, is uh, is a really important part of how he puts a video together. And I think I think that's an excellent. I, I think you making um, making your your world come to life is uh, I, I'm very excited to see that in the future. Again, I appreciate you coming on and. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I, I hope this does, you know, interest of at least a few people. I know I've got like five people that are interested in, in as far as my Instagram channel. No, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, do you do you have an Instagram? Yeah. Um. If you if you search for me as PJ Galati, it'll come up. Uh. I'm on Instagram and YouTube as uh, PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter. Um. But nice. if, if you just search for PJ Galati, it'll bring up that channel on um, both places because I. I thought about, I was thinking about Jimmy DeResta and I was thinking, you know, if I ever want to change it from Son of the Junk Hunter to something else, I'll just leave it under my name, PJ Galati. Sure. And that way I don't have to worry about it. I could just change the subtitle and it'll always be the same account. Um, but yeah, that's mainly where I am. If you're trying to find me on Facebook, uh, it's under my full name, which is Philip John Galati. Um, but for the entertainment industry and for the book, I use my initials just kind of as a throwback to the old, uh, the old school people that just used their initials back in the day. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, sure. that's how I like to, to, that's how I roll. Well, at least your, at least your name wasn't Cecil. So you got that going for you. Ah, Cecil's so, uh, a cool name. <laughs> Cecil is a cool name. Um, it, uh, it got him, uh, it got him a gig. Uh, well, I appreciate you coming and talking with us and, uh, sharing a little bit of your love for what you do. And, uh, again, for folks that are, uh, uh, hanging with us, we're going to be doing the normal, uh, maybe I said too much podcast and it's normal time. And, uh, I'd like to thank PJ for, uh, showing us this uh, cool little world. I had fun. He was ribbing on me because I have had the book for the last 30 days at least. And, uh, and I, I started the first like three pages. I fell into a rabbit hole with 15 other projects. And, uh, I think I finished it five minutes before we started to actually, uh, do this show, but, uh, <laughs> but it was all right. It was great. It was fun to, uh, I'm, I'm interested. Is there going to be a sequel? Are you going to, are you going to put this one out? Do you have a, do you have a next story for everyone? Uh, the second book I already have an outline for that's that's nearly finished. Um, I have not started writing it just because I know if I did, I would go down my own rabbit hole and not get the first book out. So all my energy has been to get the first book out, but I have a second book ready and waiting in the wings. I have five books planned. If it's very successful, it could easily go to 10 or 15 books. 
And uh, that's a serious series. Yep my my goal is uh, within five years to get the first book made into a movie or a TV series. That would be fantastic. This would be a this would this would be a an amazing TV series. I would work on this series just <laughs> to make some of the things uh, in the set department. The set department on this particular book would be a magical place to be. Oh yeah. Uh, again, I appreciate you stopping by, PJ, and uh, folks, uh, take a look again uh, at uh, at the uh, Indiegogo uh, campaign. Uh, search for uh, Legend of uh, La La Land. Thanks, PJ. Thank you for having me on.